What does it mean to read the entire Bible, Act 1 through Act 6, through the lens of Jesus? This is the Bible Reset Podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Goodwin, joined by Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell. We spent several episodes on the show talking about the story of the Bible, why it's important, how the story works, etc. And today we're going to talk about the point of it all, Jesus. The guys over at the Bible Project like to say that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, and we couldn't agree more. But how does that actually work? How do we read the First Testament and the non-gospel books in the New Testament in light of Jesus? Today, we're going to talk about reading forwards, that is, how Jesus is born into the ongoing story presented by the First Testament and why that's so important, but also reading backwards, which is a term we're borrowing from New Testament scholar Richard Hayes about going back and reading the First Testament in light of Jesus. So really, it's about reading the Bible as the Jesus story forwards and backwards which is, I think, a a neat idea to hang on to. So at the end, then, we'll talk about several common errors that some Christian groups are making when trying to figure out how Jesus relates to the rest of the Bible. Yeah, thank you, Glenn. So let's kind of start off by talking about this idea of the reading the Bible forward. And I do want to say that, um, you know, this, this whole idea of reading the Bible as a unified story is such a needful topic. Mm -hmm. And um, I confess that most of my life, I was well-versed in the Bible's systems and less in the Bible's stories. And that carried over into my preaching. Uh, My preaching was angelology and Christology and eschatology, but really very little of the overarching story. And I think what we've been talking about in this series is that this is a real story with a beginning and a middle and an ending, and you just can't skate past the beginning and the middle and expect to get the ending right. And I, you know, we're seeing this played out really in the modern church, uh, which largely leapfrogs over the beginning and the middle and also in many times really skates past act four, you know, the coming of Jesus. Uh, Hmm. There's these nice stories about Jesus miracles and, you know, bouncing children on his knee, but let's get past all of that and get to the real heart of the matter, the juicy ending, which is the gospel, the death and the resurrection. And that's really all that matters. And, you know, you're seeing that played out in, in a lot of circles today, and it makes the gospel and Christianity feel mechanical and uh, transactional, and, and we miss the pathos of the, uh, the gospel. So what we see um, in this issue of reading forward is that all four gospel writers in their opening statements make it very clear that the Jesus story is a to-be-continued story from Israel's story. Jesus doesn't just drop out of heaven and start a new story. And so in their opening prologues, they begin with the vital links to Israel's story um, as, as God's agents in his salvage mission to redeem the world. We don't have time to look at all of them, but just real quickly, looking at Matthew's opening statement, he starts by saying, 
This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So he essence is essence is saying, if you want to understand the Jesus story, you're going to have to get a two-fisted grip on the Abraham and the David story. You know, Abraham is the father of Israel, whose mission is to be a light to the Gentiles, which Israel tragically failed at. And now Jesus is going to pick that up. And the same thing as David. David represents Israel's victory. And David's victory, of course, had been short-lived, but now Jesus is stepping in and he's going to pick it up where, where David um, left off. And so we, we see in this whole matter of, of uh, reading forward that if we try to skip over the beginning and the middle acts, if we kind of rush past it, if we just you know dip into it for a few choice morsels, we're really going to misunderstand the gospel. Um, or at least, you know, truncate the gospel. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Paul. You can see when you read the story going forward through history, you know, through the story within the Bible, that it's been working toward Jesus all the time. I mean, just as you say, he doesn't appear out of nowhere, disconnected from what came before. If we do disconnect him from that story, which I think is easy to do, especially in a culture that doesn't read much and doesn't read the Bible much, which we know from the research, mm -hmm. then the place you want to start is right with the Jesus story. And it's very tempting to just read him in isolation, right? Not connected to the Israel story. Or people make the mistake of just reading the first part of the story as a foil, right? The negative thing that Jesus is reacting to and so everything that came before him is bad, negative, legalistic, whatever. And we just start fresh, basically a new story with Jesus, and you can safely ignore everything that came before. But the fact is, if you disconnect him from the Israel story, you don't get a full picture of who he is. You're really not framing his story correctly if he's disconnected from what came before. Uh, one way I like to, to say that is, you know, the way the, the stories of the, the acts of the story develop, Israel was chosen in order to correct what's gone wrong in the world. So the Israel story is the hinge upon which the world story turns. And then when we get to Jesus, we can say what's gone wrong with Israel is corrected by Jesus. So Jesus is the hinge on which Israel's story turns. So Jesus is connected to the world story through the Israel story. And that's a point I think that a lot of people who read the Bible aren't thinking about. Glenn, I think you've said before, was it D.L. Moody? It was it was some famous evangelist that said <laughs> something like you could you can write the gospel on the back of a dime or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that was Moody. Yeah, and, exactly. Which is interesting because uh, the New Testament doesn't do that. The, the New Testament spends a lot of time connecting the story of Jesus to the story that came before him. It's kind of like you yeah. know, the, the tree that grew up out of the roots or something. And they're trying to show you how the two, uh, you know, connect together. So it is interesting that. Um, yeah, we, we, modern Christians, I think, uh, tend to prefer the cliff notes, just kind of give me the mm -hmm. main bullet points version. And there's so much more richness to be found, uh, when you explore it more deeply as connected to the stories that came before. Yeah. I think you could also say that it wasn't just the four gospel writers that made this vital link. And if you haven't seen that, you know, check it out. 
mm-hmm. because every, every one of them do it. It's how they begin. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't just them. It was also Peter um, when he's, you know, giving his sermon at Pentecost. He goes all the way back into the Jewish story. And um, let's see, who is it? Stephen. Before, Stephen. Yep. Before, yep. He's, before he's martyred, he goes into this lengthy sermon. And what I find fascinating is that even as the, you know, the Gentiles are, are being invited into this story, they're being asked to understand the Jewish story as well. They're un- being asked to understand the roots of the story. It's not like, well, you know, you guys aren't Jews, and so it isn't pertinent to you. It's pertinent to all of us, you know, to understand this overarching, you know, unified story. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's true <clears throat> even in the letters of Paul. Right, yeah. he's writing to mixed churches, Jewish and Gentile, but he's dropping Israel metaphors all over the place. He's obviously assuming that they're in those scriptures regularly, and he's talking about Christ is the rock, right? He's just using Israel metaphors and stories as just woven into their history, and it's they can't know who they are without knowing the Israel story, and that's that's what Paul is bringing to Gentile Christians. So it's obviously throughout the New Testament, gospels and letters, and essential to understanding them. You know, it is interesting, guys, if you remember when we created Immerse, and we were trying to think about what to name the New Testament, mm-hmm. and the idea was floated that we would call it the Messiah or Messiah. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point in the conversation, someone says, well, that sounds awfully Jewish. Do we really want something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we almost folded. We almost caved into the uh, the culture right, there. Right. And finally, we said, no, no, we're going to, It this indeed is a Jewish story. Yeah. And we're going to leave it that way, even though, you know, it may not be uh, as culturally relevant. That's great. Well, I think, you know, in my opinion, this concept is pretty straightforward. We're basically saying um, if you sit down in the middle of the movie, you're going to have missed some stuff that's kind of important here. And, you know, we're using this six act drama metaphor or this framework. And we're saying, hey, if you start in act four and just kind of skip things that happened in acts one, two and three, you're not going to get a fully formed understanding of of what you're reading. So this this is, you know, what we're calling reading forwards. But, you know, the second half of this episode is going to be about reading backwards, which I think for me is is a little bit more complicated. Can we can we dive into that? I think the the classic passage that, you know, theologians use when they're describing reading backward is the passage in Luke um, where um, the story is described of the resurrected Jesus coming alongside these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And um, in, in, in the course of that conversation, he says to them, you know, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And then, you know, the, the narrative stops. We're like, you know, <laughs> hanging on to this. Okay, A little more keep, detail, keep, please. <laughs> keep going. Keep going here, yeah. Luke. And uh, but but Luke doesn't. And uh, 
I think he maybe assumes that um, Jesus' followers at that stage of the game should have picked up on some of these clues from the First Testament. Yeah, I think I think a lot of Christians, you know, read that passage and they say, well, Jesus cited the eight verses that seem to just predict him, you know, but but it specifically says, you know, he went through all of the scriptures to see or to show mm. how they they point towards him. Yeah, this all reminds me of a painful event in my own history when <laughs> when I was in seminary and we had to do oral exams at the end. And so you have, uh, you know, some professors sitting there on chairs in front of you and you're sitting there and they can ask you whatever they want. And the president of the seminary said to me, OK, here's this passage in Luke. And Jesus is explaining to them how all of the scriptures explained what he was about what do you think he said and and that was all he gave me and uh, of course i was nervous anyway and as in those situations i probably panicked so right now i can't tell you a single thing i have no idea what i said and i'm sure i was just you know like i do when i'm nervous and a lot of people just start talking talking too fast probably too loud and just trying to compensate and uh, i have no idea what i said at that moment yeah, that's great. Um, well, it might be helpful to just take a couple of examples or themes from the the First Testament and kind of show how this idea applies. Um, let's start with the the fact of violence in the First Testament. There's King David, who the Bible says is, you know, a man after God's own heart, yet he's also ankle deep in the blood of Israel's enemies. And so you're like, okay, how do how do we reconcile these two things? Um what are Christians supposed to think about violence kind of taking the old Testament or the first Testament into account, but also the Jesus story? Yeah, this is a fascinating example. And I think it's a very relevant question in our world. I mean, I've seen Christians using passages about King David to justify using violence today in various ways. And I think when we think about the Bible as a story that progresses, which is at the essence of what it means to be a story. Stories move on. That's what it means. If it's not a story that moves on, you're just in an endless cycle. Israel started telling stories that were moving toward a better future. And that's, I think, at the heart of what the Bible is. And so with this question of violence, what's really at issue there is how do we fight evil? And I think God, working within the cultures and the people at that time, the only way they knew to kind of fight against somebody that they perceived as evil was to fight them. And so this was King David's story as well. But then when we get to the Jesus story, we see him working hard to reconceive the divine warrior image from Scripture. He's reconceiving the battle against evil. So Jesus redefines the enemy as not Rome or some other empire that is viewed as evil, evil people, Jesus sees that there are dark spiritual forces behind evil in the world, and he redirects his battle as the son of David, as the Messiah, not against fighting people physically anymore, not directing it toward the expression of evil in people, but rather going to the source of evil. And so, Jesus is fighting a spiritual battle against the spiritual forces of evil, and he's fighting the prince of this world, right? That's the language from John's gospel. And so Jesus is, is saying, when you fight evil, from this point on in the story, we don't use physical force anymore. And Paul picks that up explicitly. 
Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're fighting the spiritual forces of evil that in that enslave people. So what we do when we go back now, reading backwards to the First Testament, and we read about that violence and warfare, we have to read it in light of Jesus. So we've seen that the story has moved on, gotten better and more precise about how God's people fight evil. And we need to understand that there was an attempt to fight evil in the First Testament, but it was misdirected, and God gave us more and better revelation in Jesus, as the opening to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says. The the prophets gave us revelation, but the revelation of Jesus is of a better and different and higher standard. And so we have to revise our understanding of how we fight evil in light of Jesus. And so we don't use King David and his story to justify our violence today against those we disagree with. Um, it's interesting that David was not allowed to build God's temple because God says he had too much blood on mm -hmm. his hands. So even then, there were hints of where the story was going. So again, it's conditioning our reading of the First Testament on the clearer and better light that we have with Jesus. Yeah, that's a, that's a great explanation. Glenn, can we do one more? Re reframing um, what it means to fight evil. We, we just looked at that. Let's, let's uh, look at kind of the reframing of the way God um, dwelled with his people, starting with the First Testament and, you know, where we are, are today. So, you know, initially, you know, in Eden, he, was, he dwelled with them. Um, ultimately, in, in the wilderness, um, they, they were given the tabernacle and, you know, Jesus or God tabernacled with them. And that ultimately led to um, a temple in which, which God dwelled. And even in the exile, um, you know, uh, and when they returned to the temple, there's this enduring sense of exile from God's presence. So, you know, how can we read Jesus back into to these ideas of the presence of God with his people? Yeah, that's another, I think, really important major theme in the scriptures. And you're right, when they came back from exile, and yeah, they built another smaller version of the temple, you know, always compared negatively to Solomon's great temple. And the people who had seen Solomon's temple and then saw this one, some of them wept um, because it was so um, small and kind of shabby, if you will, compared to Solomon's. Um, but you never get a story with that second temple about God's presence coming down and filling it. You know that story in, the, in Kings where there's this dramatic moment when the temple is finished and God's presence fills it. So with the second temple, you never get that story. So there's this continuing sense of post-exilic Israel that God is still not returned to them. So that's a big, big deal when we get to the Jesus episode of the Bible story that Jesus starts talking about the return of Yahweh to Israel. And then he starts using temple language. It's really rather remarkable. Um, two Gospels, you know, use this story about Jesus refers to himself as the temple. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, if you tear down this temple in three days, I can restore it. And they're like, what are you talking about? And yet, it really brings us back to then rereading the earlier versions of the story about the tabernacle in the temple in light of the now Jesus revelation that he is ultimately the temple. That is, he is the one that God dwells within, and then he comes to us. And as John's gospel says at the opening 
He tabernacled with us. So God, through the incarnation, has come back to live with his people. Jesus himself becomes the ultimate temple, right? So we go back and we say, okay, ever since Eden, the story's been longing for the return of God to live with his people in this place. So the tabernacle was the beginning of the kind of recreation of the creation-wide temple. And it's in it's like a microcosm in one building. You have all the elements of the earth represented. And so God is now living among his people and traveling with them. Then that gets heightened in the temple. The temple gets destroyed and they're longing for God to come and live with them again. And then the story gives us Jesus as the new temple. And then the rest of the New Testament kind of builds out from that and says, by the way, um, reading through the Jesus lens doesn't just mean reading backwards through the, through the Jesus lens. It also means reading the rest of the New Testament after mm-hmm. Jesus through the Jesus lens. So in the New Testament letters, we get the idea that since we are the body of Christ, that therefore we are now the temple of God. So Jesus, we are attached to Jesus, so therefore we are part of the new temple. And then at the end of the story, it's back to the entire cosmos being filled with the glory of God. And so the, the, the goal of the story is reached in which God fills all of his creation and lives openly with his people in the creation. And Jesus is the link that gets us there. So we reconceive the earlier part of the story, knowing that it heads toward Jesus. And the story after Jesus is the outworking of the idea of Jesus as the temple. So again, Jesus is right at the center and he's the lens through which the whole rest of the story makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much extra richness when you look at it that way versus kind of the cliff note bullet point. Just kind of give me the the quick hit, uh, you know, major point <laughs> version of uh, of Jesus in the gospel. But, you know, these these ideas are probably new to a lot of people. Might take a little while to wrap their heads around it um, and and figure out how this Jesus lens idea applies to all sorts of different themes and stories and instances and that sort of thing in the first Testament. Um, we've talked about some of the ways that Christians can uh, veer off course as they try to understand how the entire Bible comes together around Jesus. Can you kind of go over those just so, um, you know, I think self-awareness always helps and uh, yeah. <laughs> can you, uh, can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I think there's there's a thing there where, you know, we've just been making the case for how essential it is and how promising it is in our Bible reading to, to know the Jesus story and to read the rest of the Bible in light of it, both forwards and backwards. So that's definitely a huge benefit of reading the Bible as a story. But we have to say that there are ways that this can go off the rails if you do it wrongly. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two major ways in which that happens. Number one, it's kind of become a thing now in the church to read the story so much through the Jesus lens and to center on Jesus as the the heart of the story that some people are starting to say, you know what, you don't even need to bother knowing or reading or spending time in the earlier part of the story. Like Jesus is so much the center of the story that you can dispense with knowing the earlier part of the story. What's the point of it if it's all superseded by Jesus anyway? Let's just talk about Jesus and and just read him um, alone. But, you know, we've already talked about how you don't understand Jesus if you don't understand the earlier part of the story. But the danger here is really one, like it's an old mistake, 
Marcion, back in the early days of the church, tried the same thing and said, basically, the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. And so there's no benefit in knowing the revelation about this other angry, wrathful God. And let's just talk about Jesus and the New Testament God. And the church rejected that. And I think the danger here is that um, we place Jesus at the center so much so that you actually sever ties with the earlier or later part of the story and just becomes kind of like, all I want to do is read about Jesus and what he did and said, and that's really all I need. So that's that's one mistake is that we cut off the Jesus story from the rest of it by heightening the Jesus story in a way that dispenses with or just disregards the earlier part of the story. Mm. Okay, then there's the other mistake I would think that can happen is understanding how Jesus actually does relate to the rest of the New Testament. Paul already mentioned a bit about how some Christians kind of have a theology that like, yeah, we need Jesus to hurry up and die and be raised so we can talk, start talking about the gospel of justification mm -hmm. by faith. Like we don't really pay attention to what he said and did that brought the kingdom, the reign of God to earth. As if all those stories and parables and passages about Jesus' actions in Israel, his teachings, right? Jesus isn't talking about justification by faith. He's not like the it's not like listening to the book of Romans when you hear Jesus speak. So you're like, you know, the heart of the gospel really comes with Paul in Romans and Galatians, mm -hmm. especially. So let's just talk about that. And yeah, we need Jesus, but we just need him there as the the guy who made it possible. But the real gospel is the gospel of justification by faith, as explained in those books. But what that can do, if done incorrectly, kind of cuts us off from the stories about Jesus and the actual actions of Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is the one who uses the word gospel. So how is it possible that Jesus uses the word gospel so much? But for him, it's always the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the coming of the reign of God to earth. And how does that relate to Paul's gospel? And I think some people like to pit Paul against Jesus. And some people will say, yeah, I'm actually kind of like a gospel of Paul guy. And I love to talk about justification by faith and grace and all of this. And I kind of don't talk much about the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus talked about. Other people play it the other way. They're like, Paul turned Christianity into a religion. Jesus was a movement. Mm -hmm about healing and restoration and God's coming back to us, all these great ideas, great concepts, and they play those against each other. And so again, I think it's essential to read the whole story of the Bible in light of Jesus, but to do it in a way that doesn't cut off or misunderstand other parts of the Bible. We can't dispense with the rest of the Bible. We need the Jesus story at the heart of it, and not in a way that just, you know, removes the rest of the Bible and gives you a new canon of just four mm. books. This has been a good conversation. And mm -hmm. um, I think you've heard our heart and uh, our minds on this, that this uh, entire story is important, that we can't uh, dip in and out of it in mm -hmm. places and grab little bits and pieces and, and leave the rest, that uh, these two testaments are inexorably connected, which is. If you've listened to our podcast before, we've kind of dropped the the phrase Old Testament and substitute, mm. substituted First Testament mm -hmm. for it. 
Um, but you know, you should also be aware that we realize that there are enormous challenges um, to marinate in the entire story. Yeah, um, it's a big story, and to to spend the time and to dedicate one's life to being immersed in that story is a big deal, especially in our day and age. You know, where we have fewer readers, more non-readers. And, you know, it's already difficult enough to go back into antiquity, into, you know, the first century, but then to go back another thousand or two thousand uh -huh. years into this, you know, ancient Near East context, it makes it even more difficult. But I think what we're saying here is that there are no shortcuts and that God is calling his people today in a new and a fresh way to embrace the the, the big, beautiful story and all of its wholeness. Uh, guys, I, I was telling uh, somebody the other day, I just remembered a story that I had read in high school hmm. um, about something that had happened back in 1962 in, in Boston. And there was a, there was a young boy, I think he was 12, horsing around with some of his friends and they hopped a train. And unfortunately it, it uh, kind of went into a tunnel and he got smacked and um, they, they, picked him up and they carried him to the hospital. And after they got his shirt off, they realized that his arm had been detached completely at the shoulder. Mm. And uh, so why the story is, is famous is it was the first example of a limb of that size that had been reattached and that was done so successfully. He was able to use that limb. But the part of the story that stood out to me um, was the, the perspective of a nurse who is a veteran in, in the surgery room. And she said she'd seen everything that you could possibly see. But yeah. there was something, she saw this boy um, laying on the table, and then a few feet away in a bucket of ice was his arm. Hmm. <laughs> and she said, I got hmm. queasy. I hmm. got queasy. It was like, no, that arm is supposed to be attached <laughs> to, that, to that body. So I think you know where I'm going with this. We, we want to, to take the, the, the story of the gospel, the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus, the story of Jesus, and we want it to, to um, you know, uh, sometimes it ends up in a separate bucket. <laughs> and it needs yeah. to be attached. It needs to be attached. The big story works together or it doesn't work at all. And uh, that's, that's what we uh, have been advocating for. So thank you for for listening to us as we grapple with these things as well. Yeah. And it's, it's a good word, Paul, because you know, it's like, it's not like in one 30 minute podcast weekend and say, Oh yeah, this is how you smooth out the entire story. It takes mm -hmm. work and you have to kind of go in saying, I believe it's a coherent story, right. From start to finish. Um, if it's not immediately obvious to me how the gospel of Jesus relates to the gospel of Paul, then I need to, to read better and deeper and more. If it's not immediately clear to me how the story of Jesus relates to the story of Israel, I need to read more, deeper, better, and keep at it because the threads that tie the story together are really yeah. there. Yeah, and, and just to add one final point on that, I think reading together also getting the, the collected wisdom of the community, the collected insights and perspectives mm. also helps yeah. um, kind of uncover some of those connections, I guess. You bet. Cool. Well, thank you guys. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. I actually noticed earlier this week that we've already been doing this podcast for six months, which is kind of crazy. Um, 
it's been a lot of fun for me. Hopefully it's been a lot of fun for you, you guys as well. And uh, I've personally <laughs> cer- certainly learned a lot. Um, if, if you, our listeners, have found this podcast to be helpful and you'd like to support our work at the Institute for Bible Reading, uh, you can become a change maker, which is the community of donors who have pledged 20 bucks a month to, uh, to help us change the way the world reads the Bible. If you're interested in that, you can find out more at instituteforbiblereading.org slash changemakers. That's going to do it for, uh, for today. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.